Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Matt. And we're the Casual Tutors. Today we're going to be continuing on our power level discussion with some deck building topics, uh, cracking packs, where you're getting your cards, the different tools for deck building, things of that nature. Yeah, how you know how we do it, um, some of the... The community, I don't want to say standards, but some of like the, the common things in the community um, and just some different ideas for you when you sit down at the deck building table. Yeah, and just to kind of kick it off, Kyle and I definitely are not the best deck builders in the world. We definitely have a lot of practice at it, but, you know, we, we bounce ideas off of each other, and sometimes it comes back as cut some lands, which probably isn't the best idea. A lot of the times it's, why are you playing that? And, you know, your pet card's dumb. Um, but th- all those things are definitely allowable in the deck building verse and things that a lot of people have to consider when they're out there. So we're going to give it our, our best shot and, you know, try to cover a, a broad spectrum of things. Right. Well, and a- as we're talking about tools and stuff like that, that brings up a good point is is you're, you're probably not the first person that's ever wanted to build with this certain commander. So, um, or 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 archetype or, you know, whatever format you're playing in, look to your play group, text your friends, send them the deck list, see what they think, look online. We, we have a buddy who is very against using online tools for some reason, and I think it's ridiculous. The tools are out there. Use the tools. And we'll go over some of those tools that Matt and I use today. Yep. And so to kick it off, you know, we just kind of want to talk about what those tools are and kind of just where to access them, whether we think they're good or not. Um, and I'm going to start with Architect. Um, it's definitely an online tool, deck building tool that I used to use a lot of. I've kind of dwindled in the past couple of months for various reasons, one of it being ads on the site. But, you know, it's a, a good open format for you to enter cards into a deck list and it displays them in a neat orderly manner. It allows you to do various headers. So you could do card draw, you can do removal, board wipes, all those different things, custom headliners. So you could kind of get a better feel for how your deck is filling out the needed slots. Right, right. And that's one of my favorite things about the tool is being able to do the custom types. And so you can organize it how you want. You know, it's a lot of times it is nice to look at it in CMC or looking look at it card type. But sometimes if I'm having, you know, uh, trouble cutting cards or trouble with the deck, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll change those types to, you know, what card draw do I have? What removal spells do I have? What is part of my main game plan? You know, you want you want about a, a third of your deck to be the main game plan, a third of your deck to be land. So looking at actually sitting down and looking at what cards are in my main game plan is something that I think a lot of people kind of miss that step sometimes. Yeah, I would say that the custom headliners definitely help outline the, the the layout of your deck. Whether you subscribe to command zones, you know, kind of break up of the different archetypes, or if you know you're more independent, you know, you got your own thoughts and ideas. You know, obviously creating a deck list is your own individual creativity process and just working it out. But like you know, kind of talked about. There's a bunch of different tools. So one thing I like to highlight about Architect, and it's also going to be in the next one we talk about, but there is a recommendation tab. You know, you select it, you choose kind of what cards you want to have recommendations for, and it will pull from things like EDH Rec and kind of give you things that might fit into your deck and, you know, give you options for different cards that you might not have thought about. Right, right. Well, and that's the, the nice thing is is EDHREC is such a great tool and being able to pull directly from it without having to switch tabs even is such a help with deck building. Yep, 
Definitely. Another very similar option is Moxfield. It's a, another online-based system that lets you do deck building and just lays your cards out in a visual format. Again, there's custom headers. There's different tags and stuff you can use. You can search other people's decks, which you can also do in Architect. And it also pulls directly from EDH Rec for you know, any areas you might need help with. Yeah, when there's just there's so many. I mean, I a lot of times if I'm looking at uh, deck ideas and I'm I'm surfing through, you know, I'm checking Goldfish, I'm checking Moxfield, I'm checking Tapped Out still. I mean, Tapped Out's been around for a long time. Tapped Out is very popular and it's still a, a great tool. I mean, it's a little it's a little more bland on the site. It's not as flashy as some of these other larger sites, but it's it's been around so long that there's so much information in there. Yeah. And, you know, Moxfield and Architect are the two big ones. They probably are two of the newer ones around. Um, I definitely see Moxfield a lot uh, in YouTube links, different sources from other creators, stuff like that. And, you know, just kind of they're, they're re- both really great tools for just seeing the visual layout of your deck. And, you know, when it comes down to it, when you're making these hard decisions about, you know, cards to cut or, you know, additions to your deck that you might not have thought about, they're, they're both very good. I guess kind of leading into EDH rec some more. It's another probably indispensable tool that I utilize. I try to use it sparingly and try to exercise my brain a little bit, get some of those creative juices flowing. Avoid net decking. Yeah. It's not so much that for me. It's just, it's, it's an exercise for myself to be able to, to make a deck and, you know, make sure it functions properly all on my own. And I like looking at it probably as one of the last few steps. Probably when I start making my cuts, I'll take a look at EDH rec, just seeing what other people are playing with that commander or with that archetype even, you know, whether it's tribal or surveil or whatever your your deck strategy mm-hmm. might be. Just looking for cards because, you know, even though I might know a ton of cards, there's 8,000 million more of them that I'd have no idea. Yeah. And there's, there's great cards I find all the time that I I'm like, how did I not know about this? But of course, you know, if you weren't playing during that time or, or that one card is specific to this archetype that hasn't been powerful until this new card was reprinted, you know, there's these cards that come in and out all the time like that. Going back to what Matt was saying though, is I do a similar thing. I think one of the, the best things for me on the getting my creative juices flowing and getting my brain working is I'll set aside a stack of cards, maybe 200 cards when I'm building a deck or an EDH deck and get that cut down to maybe 130, 120. And that's at that point is that's when I hop into EDH rec and I go, okay, what is something that I might you know, what is something that I might think is better than it really is? Or what is something that they recommend that or they're, that they don't recommend that I have in here? And then, you know, let me double look at that. Let me, let me make sure that that actually does what I think it does. Because there's a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of cards with a lot of printed words on them. And there's plenty of times where I've looked at a card and went, this is the, you know, God's gift to earth. This is the best card ever printed. Re- not realizing that I, I slightly misread it or I the the period is is in a different space than I thought it was, and it makes the card just that little bit worse, and so it just doesn't kind of make the cut. Yeah, and I have something I don't know. I don't want to call it dyslexia, but my brain wants to make cards better than they are all the time. <laughs> so it'll either omit words or it'll add words to whatever it thinks makes the card better. And then I slot it in a deck, go play, and then someone points out to me that's not how that card actually works. And suddenly I come to the realization that it is bad. Well, and that's that brings up a really good point that you just said there is 
deck building does not just end when you have a hundred cards sleeved. It, deck building, I mean, first of all, I I am a firm believer that until you've at least play tested the deck once and made some changes based on play testing, the deck's not done. You you need you need to do that play test. There's going to be cards that you thought worked differently that once you're sitting down playing, you figure out you know oh this is actually how it works. There's going to be cards that you thought were going to interact better together that just don't, and you're not going to know that until you play test it. And and even after that, I mean honestly, like we talked about last week, some of our pet decks that we've had for you know four or five years. Uh, obviously new cards come out all the time. New sets come out all the time. Eight and a half tails is a great example. Wizards has been giving so much love to white. I sort of, I change eight and a half tails every two weeks, you know, upgrade cards, move cards in, take cards out. I mean, the, the deck building is an ongoing process until you, until you scrap that deck and take it apart. You're kind of always building it. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't highlight the, the new card issue even more. seems like we're getting so inundated with new data and new cards every month, every two months that, you know, I find myself pulling out a deck that I might not have touched for three or four months and realize that there's, you know, six or seven new cards that will just flat out be better for my deck that are in it because I, you know, took a pause. I didn't update that deck. Whatever happened, life happens. And all of a sudden the deck is, you know, not as optimized as I initially hoped. And I have to go back and make those changes. Right, right. Yeah, and that's... I mean, it happens. It's every player is different, so you're you're pulling a lot of this information online, and and while a lot of the the obvious includes are going to be good in your deck, you know, there's there's a lot of different play styles out there. So you might pull a bunch of data from EDH Rec or from Tapped Out or Moxfield or whatever, um, and find that a lot of that just doesn't fit with your play style. There might, you know, maybe there are cards that fit a little bit better with your play style and you can, you can play around with that. I mean, even EDA track, when you go on there and you look at a commander, it's they, the list of cards that they give you without, without basic lands, it's, it's like 130 cards or something like that. So they're not giving you an exact full commander deck. What they're giving you is the, highest percentage in this commander's de- uh, decks out there. Yeah, most played cards. I think it's even right. worse than that. I think it's like top 50 for the normal categories and then like, you know, recent card section and stuff like that have fewer cards. But for like instant sorceries, creatures, they give you 50 suggestions. So. Yeah, so you're you're getting a lot more than 100 cards. So you can play around with it too. And you can, you, you know, I mean, there's sometimes where I, I take top rated cards out um, or like high, not not usually the high synergy cards because those ones make the most sense. But there are some of like the there's like a top rated section right under the high synergy section, and there's sometimes where I'll cut those for cards, you know, that are more fun to me or cards pet that cards. I pet cards things that I want to try out, you know, because they'll be. I've seen a lot of decks where they're like, oh, deadly relic is in the the. The top played cards, yeah, because it's a, a free targeted removal, of course it is, but you don't have to put, you know, you don't have to have the power level of every deck crazy. You don't have to put the best of the best. I mean, the thing is, is Deadly Rollick is free and awesome, sure, but Anguish Unmaking does the same thing. Yeah, or, you know, you've been playing a lot of standard, you're real fond of cut down, whatever it might be. You got a sweet Friday Night Magic cut down promo that you're itching to put in a deck. Throw it in there. It's not like it's a bad card. Yeah, no, and that's that's the thing is there's, you you, you got to be careful looking at some of those sites because you will get caught up on that that top uh, top cards and high synergy cards and and it's just there there are cards that are going to be obvious you know if you're playing a Traxa you you and you have a doubling season put it in the deck 
Like it's, you know, there's, there's going to be the no brainers, but if you're playing a track set, you have a doubling season and a parallel lives in there. Do you need to go out and spend $40 or whatever it is on a primal vigor? Probably not. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of leans into last week's discussion about power level. You are the ultimate captain of this deck and, you know, look at me, I'm the captain now. Like Kyle said, double season is a logical choice for something like a Traxa. But you know, if you're in a meta where everyone's playing Battle Cruiser, and you know a Traxa by herself is going to be enough to proliferate your into a significant lead, maybe hold back. You know, yeah. keep it keep it in a binder for now. And if everybody else in your group catches up with your power level, or you know starts displaying that they're advancing in their skill or ability, then slot it in. Yeah. Or and you know the thing is, is there's so many cards out there. I mean, there's so many. There's so many similar uh, archetypes that, you know, instead of playing, you know, maybe instead of playing doubling season because of cost, you go out and you get the uh, the green and the blue creature that were printed in War of the Spark, the one that whenever a land enters, you proliferate, and the other one whenever you cast a instant or sorcery, you pro- proliferate. Yeah. There's plenty of options. There's obviously getting double the counters is better because the tracks already has the proliferate stapled onto her. But if you're, if you're able to just continuously pro- proliferate, it kind of gives a similar effect to something like doubling season because you're still getting all those extra counters. It's look at your deck archetypes and see what can I use to make a similar effect instead of, you know, I mean, like um, one of my favorites uh, in recent time is the Wheel of Misfortune, you know, instead of going out and spending, what is what is Wheel of Fortune now? Too much. Yeah, you know, instead of going out and spending money on that, play the Wheel of Misfortune. First of all, it's more fun because it makes everyone think and nobody quite knows what it does, but also it's the similar, it's the same effect. Right. And a lot of these card types and Chapman's artifacts, they're a little bit more difficult to remove just because those interactions aren't as common in decks as things like creature removal and board wipes are almost ubiquitous at this point. And, you know, almost every card in Magic has, you know, an alternate form one way or another, usually in a creature. So, and it isn't one for one always. Um, but for example, you know, you might not put in your doubling season, but you might slap in an uncommon from M21 that is Conclave Mentor that's going to put additional 1-1 counters on your things, which is kind of attracts game plan, you know, depending on your deck. You know, maybe you're Infect and you're that person. But, you know, if you're just putting counters on everything, Conclave Mentor is a great include. And it kind of, it powers down your deck without removing a powerful effect. Right. Well, and the other thing too is, is now we did have a... I don't want to say recent, semi-recent reprint. Well, we did have a recent reprint of Doubling Season. Double Masters. And Double Masters. And so, and that's... A, that was the, like three or four years ago. Oh, my gosh. And then Battle Bond before that, which was another three years before that. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. And that's the thing is, there are some semi-recent sets that, that are giving us these good reprints that are, are helping with the deck building space. But, y- you know, you don't always have to go to that there's always going to be options yeah and those newer cards we mentioned that you know double masters was three or four years ago stuff like that but that kind of leads into how you're acquiring these cards obviously buying singles is the tried and true method it's the goat of all card acquiring methods easiest way to do it Uh, it's just flat out you know and if you have the money flat out going out and buying that exact card that you want i think a lot of times we see cards, you know, skyrocket in value. You know, doubling season's obviously super expensive. There's things like Shouldred that's in standard right now that's hitting sixty dollars. Even Liliana's still forty bucks. Those kind of cards, 
to me at least make the gamble of buying a pack more worth it. If I can buy a $5 pack and open a $60 card or have the chance of opening a $60 card, it seems all right. You know, more than likely I'm going to get trash, but they, you know, it all goes in a box and one day might be valuable. Right, right. And I mean, the thing is, it's just, just not to bank on that, you know, it's, is if you absolutely need this card, just buy it as a single. Yeah. You know, but if you want to have fun with it, if you like cracking packs, you know, I, I love playing limited. I love sealed and drafts. So a lot of times, I, instead of just cracking packs on their own, I'll just go play limited, which kind of gives me the same feeling of cracking packs, but I'm actually doing something with them. Yeah. And things like Shouldered, I don't have any plans for using Shouldered in anything. I will love her. She's a great card. But, you know, just the slight chance of getting her in a pack kind of makes the gamble worth it. That's exactly what pack cracking is, is a gamble. Right, right. And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, though, I, I would say, I mean, buy singles. I mean, here's the thing is if you have, if you have the disposable income and you like to open boxes, Matt and I, we open a lot of boxes. We open a lot of packs and we, we have fun with it and we get really lucky sometimes and we get really unlucky sometimes, but we, we kind of know that that's what it is. And that's, I mean, neither of us, Neither of us have opened a Shieldred, speaking of Shieldred, and neither of us have gone out and just bought one on their own because we don't really have any plans with her. It would be awesome. I have a couple of decks she could slot into if I cracked her, but it's not going to make or break the decks, you know? So a win more card in the majority of things I would put her in. Exactly. And I think outside of standard currently, I think she is just a win more card. Yep. And, you know, there always is the third option, and that's something that, you know, at least locally we see less and less of lately, and that's trading for your cards. Um, you know, there's several ways you can do it. Trading favors, buying food, you know, getting a drink for a card, or just flat out, you know, getting back to the roots of a TCG and trading card for card. And, you know, it's something that Kyle and I used to always do a lot. I mean, we've definitely fallen off just because we've kind of, you know, reduced our own personal collections and we only typically buy the cards that we want for specific options so our trade base is probably severely limited to what it used to be oh yeah i mean i went down in the last year i've gone from what four binders to one yeah and i i haven't i said i have a reduction it's more like i had a increase in my greed um i have (laughs) have a harder and harder time in letting go of cards which often leads into me having multiples of the same card and you know boxes of boxes of rares and mythics from standard bygone sets that don't see play in anything anymore but you know there's always that hope that one day and you know i I just need to shake it and put a block in my trade binder and get down. That's and that's what I've been doing recently. Is I had a long, I had a really bad time for a while there where I was like, oh, I can't trade this, I can't trade this, I can't trade this. I've got this deck idea that I'm doing this with this card, and, and you know, I I had to tone it down. I had to go, okay, this is this is a deck I want to upgrade right now. This is what I'm looking for. This is a deck I want to build right now. This is what I'm looking for. If it doesn't fall into those categories, it's in the binder. If somebody has a card that I'm looking for for a project I'm already working on, then I'm going to trade whatever for that card because that card has an immediate purpose. It's sitting in the binder. It's not doing anything. I, You know, there's there's no reason not to trade it if it's just going to sit there. Yeah. Trading, to me, definitely is the best option of the three between buying packs, buying singles, or trading. should definitely get out and trade because it increases that social interaction. But like I said, I am definitely the worst person at that. Right. Well, and there are some other options, though, if you do notice. Like our our play group has some trouble. I've, I've had somebody um, – our, our friend has been holding on to a full-art Allosaurus Shepherd for me for, I don't know, four months now. 
because every time we run into each other, one of us, either she has the binder and I don't, or I don't have my, or I do have my binder, but she doesn't. And, and, you know, so maybe sometimes you got to plan around it a little bit and kind of, you know, we used to do trade days all the time where we just plan ahead. Like, Hey, we are, we're for sure trading this day. Everyone bring your trades. We're going to get the trades out. But I've also noticed recently, if you're in a smaller town like us, where it's becoming harder and harder to trade. There are services out there. Card Kingdom's a great one. You can send your cards in for store credit. They give you a really good deal if you're doing store credit. Um, and then just, you know, buy the singles for the decks that you're um, working on already. I, I I tell Matt all the time, I call it recycling my cards. I just, I, you know, I, I send out ones that I'm not using for cards that I am going to use. Yeah, and definitely shop around, you know, different buy lists for different stores. Try to get the best value for your cards because, you know, in the end, they're going to be more valuable to you than they are for that shop. And, you know, they are a business, so they're going to get the best deal they can for your stock. And, you know, like I said, shop around, see what's out there for options. Right, right. Well, that's so the nice thing with the the recycling the cards is I like to go through Card Kingdom just because I'm I'm familiar with the process I and mean, I've never had an issue with it, but I built a, a deck for a kid the other day and, and I went through TCG player and got all the cards. Cause I, 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 I didn't have to worry about time. That's the one problem with TCG players. It could take a half, you know, two weeks, half a month just to get some of your cards in sometimes, but time wasn't an issue. So instead of worrying about that, I was just getting the best deals possible. Right. And, you know, kind of along those same lines, it's if, if you find yourself out there with some extra cash, you know, you might be tempted to flat out buy some staples. Get out, get that doubling season because there's very few decks that could take doubling season that it's not good in. But, you know, buying staple cards or, you know, that are general or themed specific even will is definitely not a horrible idea. We have been seeing more reprints lately. Um, you know, we, we said doubling season, it's got a couple of reprints here in the past decade in general, though, I would say most of those higher price cards are relatively safe from reprints just because wizards doesn't like reprinting into their own equity. Well, and, and they also bounce around a little bit. Now it is, it is down from where it was, but like a, a vampiric tutor is it, it, it bounced up and then it was reprinted commander's legends and it came down again, but it's still sitting at what's. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. These cards are staples. Reprinting them isn't going to stop them from being a staple. It does increase access to them, which is a great thing. But, you know, don't feel bad when you go out and buy a $60, $80 doubling season, however much it is now, and they reprint it six months down the road and it drops to $40. Because guess what? It'll go right back up. In another six months, it's going to be $80, $90 again. And that's the thing, too, is – and – even if you don't want to go out and get like some of the the archetype specific ones, look at the look at the things like the vampiric tutors. Look at the things like the force of wills. These these cards that if you're playing in that color, you can put that card in. Even cheap staples, nature's lore, these different super mm-hmm. one or two mana ramp spells, the enchant land spells that go on for one mana but double the mana that land produces. Those are all great. They aren't super frequently reprinted, but when they do, they usually drop to a buck or two. Those are super easy pickups that you're going to slot into your decks. Yeah. I mean, even something like three visits or nature's lore, even picking them up at, I think three visits is what? $3 right now. Probably. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still going to be worth it. Cause you're playing in, if you're playing in 
mono green or dual color with green, even maybe tricolor with green, three visits is going to be better than something like cultivate, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of... So I have a, a game plan where I end up buying almost every commander precon just for the off chance we get a dockside equivalent card or something in that. I don't get the the FOMO. I don't miss out because I know I already pre-ordered it because I'm a shill. But, you know, a lot of those commander precons, if you get them on the cheap, also have all those staples in them. Nature's lore, talismans, all these stuffs are seeing more and more reprints in these decks as Wizards kind of tunes up their precon practices. Yeah, except for the Talisman of Progress, which we only got in the Warhammer decks, which were... You caught it in a Secret Lair reprint, too. Uh, I guess that is true. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Uh, Talismans are probably my favorite rock outside I, of Soul Ring, but... Yeah, and I would say that um, I, I've noticed in my deck building that the Talismans are... With the availability of them now, the Talismans are, are quickly replacing Signets in my deck. Yeah. Talking about deck building and ramp, I just... I, I'm of the opinion that your land base is irrelevant to your ramp base. So you can be in mono green, 15, 16 ramp spells. Doesn't mean you play 30 lands. Um, there, there are niche cases. So obviously in CDH, this happens a lot where you play, you know, sub 30 lands and you're playing a ton of rocks and stuff like that. But in normal, every EDH deck, everyday EDH decks, you know, you're still going to want to run, you know, 36 lands roughly, give or take a few. Um, for me, ramp is a smoothing issue. It's a consistency thing. So you might be running 15 pieces of ramp, but, you know, you're drawing one out of every 60 cards. So, you know, you're you're playing more. You have the higher chances of having them in your opening hand. But without lands, you're still you're still struggling. You need those lands to get to those ramps and things like two, two land drops, uh, far seeks, nature's lore, those kinds of things. They, they definitely help because if you're keeping a starting hand with less than two lands, you're doing it wrong. But, you know, continuing past those ramps into land drops to continue building your board state is incredibly important. And I feel you really do yourself a disservice by not playing enough lands just because you think your ramp is going to get you through. And the thing is, too, is uh, this is one of the reasons why I think the uh, having the land up is so important, too, is because with the right amount of lands in your deck, you can start to look at things like card draw as being as helping with your not ramp necessarily, but making sure that you're hitting these land drops, you know, so the card draw can help you any kind of I mean, most of these ramp that we're talking about, uh, rocks are great, and so other than rocks, but a lot of these like ramp spells, you still need to be able to hit your targets, hit your lands. Right. And without having those land drops on curve, even though you are ramping with things like Nature's Lore, you're just getting yourself back up to where you would be if you hit your land drop. The real advantage to these mana ramping spells is being on curve with your land drops and then accelerating past it with additional land drops each turn. And speaking of accelerating past it and speaking of different types of uh, mana ramp, be careful with mana rocks too. Or, well, I guess uh, what I should say is be careful with mana ramp versus mana fixing. The nice thing about a lot of the mana ramp spells is you either, you know, go get a basic land or you're trying to go get a, a certain type of land, but a lot of times you can hit like a triome with that or a uh, shock land with that. So you're really helping yourself not only ramp but fix as well. What I've seen a lot of times happens is People will start to build decks and they will throw in these rocks and they'll throw in things like Thran Dynamos and Soul Rings and Mind Stones and a lot of these colorless mana rocks. And what they'll find out early game is they have all of this mana, 
but they're missing a color. Yeah, so it might accelerate them into, you know, one or two spells a turn, but anything past that, if it has a color pip in it, they're really losing out because they're either having to tap these rocks that tap for multiple colorless, like your soul rings, like your mana crypts, like Thrand Anima, which I don't really see much anymore, but these colorless ramp spell or artifacts, and then, you know, you're floating three or four colorless mana in the turn because you're out of colored mana to cast your Oh, deck. you know what I was thinking of? I said Thrandonimo, which is a good example. I was thinking Thought Vessel, which Thought Vessel is incredible. Everyone should be playing Thought Vessel. It's Dece. Um, Anyways, so kind of drawing it all back in, we're going to revisit net deck versus homebrews. My opinion, I don't think net decking is a thing in Commander. I think there's a lot of people that might start with a deck that they pull off of something from Moxfield Architect and put that into their deck building tool. But I think for the most part, everybody makes cuts and puts in cards they want or adds combos, removes combos, and kind of adjusts their deck. So I think in the end, net decking is not a thing slash is a Very. slightly helpful way in deck building for people that are might be less experienced. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I haven't really noticed a ton of net decking either recently. Like even in a lot of the... A lot of the more, and this might just be our playgroup, but a lot of the more serious formats, I've seen a lot of people do that, where they take a deck type or they take a deck and then build it as it shows online, but then they start to go, you know, well, I like this card, so I'm going to pull this card out. Or here's something I do a lot, even with like standard decks and sometimes like that, is I'm I'm not going to run, you know, I don't know, three copies of Shieldred because I don't have them. So, you know, I might have one copy and then I fill in some other stuff with, you know, what I think might work as a good replacement, just see how that runs to try and make it a little more budget-friendly. budget, budget friendly. And I see that a lot, too. Budget's a big thing where it kind of forces people to be a little creative. I think in Commander, net decking is just another tool, so to speak. Because, like I said, no one sticks to net deck list. Everyone makes their own. I think when we start seeing Commander become more powerful when we're moving up into the 8s and 9s and into the CEDH realm, we start seeing a lot more of these formatted, what would be considered net decks. And that's purely because as you optimize things, different cards fall out in favor of cards that just work better in different strategies. And those pools become ever smaller as you become more and more competitive. You see it in constructed formats like Standard Modern or Pioneer where there's professionals out there that play Magic and they have dedicated countless hours that the average Joe Schmo on Friday night magic events can't dedicate to testing these decks and running these decks and optimizing and getting the perfect balance. And, you know, in those situations, go for it. Be that Joe Schmo that pulled his modern list off of MTG goldfish or whatever. Cause you know what, you know, it's going to be fun. You're going to have a good time and everyone else is going to be doing it. And I think in those constructed formats, everyone else is doing it. Like Kyle said, there are some considerations for budget or card availability and stuff like that, where people will make adjustments to those net decks, just like they do in commander. And I just, I don't think overall net decking is bad for the health of magic. No, no. And I would agree to that. I mean, I have a lot of friends who aren't necessarily deck builders but still love playing the game and they should be able to play the game they should be included in playing the game even if deck building is not their favorite thing in the world and it's kind of like we talked about last week where magic is a game and you are playing it with the objective of winning if you know there's other people that have more resources than you and more time to dedicate to this game 
that will help you push yourself towards those victories, especially in formats that have prizes. Like if there's money on the line, there's which, you know, money or packs or store credit or whatever your LGS provides, go for it. Like it's a competition in the end and some people might get salty, but everybody's going to get salty over something. And you know what? Next week they can show up on the net deck and just do it right back. Like there, there's nothing stopping anybody from doing it. It's an even playing field as far as I'm concerned. And especially in formats with prizes is, the kind of the standard way in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, the formats with prizes, I think tournament formats, the deck building for tournament formats versus deck building for casual formats. There's, there's such a huge gap there. And I think people need to understand that those are two very different circumstances. Right. Yep. Especially in CDH, there's lines that go to game victories that are relatively, you know, stagnant. You know, Thoracle is something that doesn't have a lot of variation on. It's pretty simple. You you end up getting your cards out of your library. You play Thoracle or you already have Thoracle on the stack and you win the game. It's relatively straightforward. Obviously, CEDH has a lot of different win cons, a lot of variability that can happen. But I think in general, the most, the highest tier decks are generally doing the same thing. And saying that they net deck off of one another or whatever is kind of disingenuous just because there isn't options, but it isn't exactly wrong either. Like you said, though, not necessarily a bad thing is you have to understand the formats that you're playing and understand that you're not the guy that's going to go to Worlds and win the, you know, be the best Magic player on the planet. Unless you are. Unless you are. Unless you are that guy. But those, I mean, those guys are out there. Those guys are coming up with these decks those guys are and not just single decks you know i've seen um there's a lot of there's a lot of really smart magic players out there that are that are churning decks out like crazy and you you find them online and and that's that's what they do i mean that's not even individually a lot of these players are teams even though they might compete in the same events and stuff they're part of a team they all will play practice games with each other with different decks they'll test strategies they'll continue to refine each other's decks off of each other just because they already know relatively what's going to show up at whatever constructed format they're going to. And they, they take that option under advisement when they're doing this deck test. And they're trying to get you know the most bang for their own buck because, like I said, they're dedicating way more time than me or Kyle can ever dream of dedicating to Magic. And they're really figuring out these formats for us. So why not piggyback on their work effort? Don't feel bad because you're not a team of professional Magic players. It's okay to be Joe Schmo playing a game that he loves to play or she loves to play. And sometimes that's that means net decking and then actually getting to play the game. I, yeah. I get in these funks where I, I spend more time deck building than I do ever playing and then I never get to play the decks that I built. <laughs> And I guess that's the most important thing at the end with this whole discussion, cracking packs, buying singles, trading cards, net decking, building your own deck, using Moxfield Architect, do whatever you enjoy. It's a game. Have fun with it. However that might be. Yeah, exactly. It, it is a game. It is meant to have fun. It goes back to the saltiness. I I've seen so many people get salty over so many things. I, I really feel like, Deck building is not something worth getting salty over. Don't get salty over the net decks. Don't get salty because you feel like you have to homebrew every single deck you play. Because I guarantee you, even if you even if you sit down and homebrew a deck because you know the common cards that go into a deck, uh, there's a good chance that somebody else has also thought of these common cards before. Yeah. I mean, it, there's it's one of the most popular games on the planet. 
Someone has been there. Someone has done it. And your idea will be cool and it will be you. But, you know, never let anybody, you know, distract you from the fact that, you know, you're playing a game and having fun just because they saw someone on the internet play the exact same combo or drop the same exact card name or whatever it is. There's a ton of cards in Magic, but there's only so many that people play and they all overlap. All right. I I think we're going to wrap this one up. Before we go, I did want to mention next week, Matt and I are going to be at MTG Summit in Salt Lake City. We're going to be handing out stickers, hanging out, playing games, probably spending a decent amount of time in the command zone. But we're also, I know, I think we're both wanting to play a little bit of Modern and Pioneer and then definitely some Brothers War Sealed. Yeah, and we'll be hanging out after the event. We'll definitely be doing the VIP movie night on Saturday. We'll be going and grabbing drinks downtown, you know, kind of shaking Salt Lake loose. So make sure to follow us on our socials. We got a link tree in the description, kind of take you everywhere you need to go. Awesome. Well, I've been Kyle. And I'm Matt. And we are the Casual Tutors.